we will witness your goodness, O oh Lord. We will witness what you have done in our lives. Give us boldness. Give us strength. Give us faith to be able to actually speak about your words to our family, to our friends, to the non-believers, to our nations. In a second, we can actually learn a bit of your words. Give us understanding. Let our hearts be a good soil. When the seed of your words is sown in our heart, let the seed planted well, and it will grow. It will grow. It will grow and be fruitful. And then let the fruit of our faith be a blessing to many people around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You all may be seated. Uh, so, a uh, couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Agus preached from 1 Samuel 29. 1 Samuel 29 uh, was about uh, a story of David. <clears throat> at that time, he stayed at the uh, Philistines' land under the, uh, the ruler of Ashish. So he stayed there in the Philistine, uh, Philistines' land to avoid being killed by Saul because at that time he was a fugitive. Uh, so he hid in the Philistine, hoping that Saul will not catch him there. The next chapter, 1 Samuel 30, which is supposed to be preached today, but it will be preached by Ruth next week due to some changes in the schedule, 1 Samuel 30 is, is, um, um, is what, what happened in 1 Samuel 29. So, so David want to join the army of the Philistine because he, he's, he's been there. He wants to join the, the army of Philistine to fight against the Israel. But through God's intervention, so the, uh, the Philistine's commander refused to have David join the army with a logical reason. He said, if this guy joined my army, instead of actually fighting with me, he could have a change in heart and he will fight against me. Makes sense. So he said, David and his army couldn't join us. Now, because David was refused to join the Philistines' army, they said, David, you go back home. 1 Samuel 30 is actually a story about David going back home because he couldn't join the army. All right? So the, the, the I keep on actually forgetting the line, Ziklag. So David went to Ziklag where he stayed. Now, to his surprise, when he arrived at Ziklag, the whole town was burned down. And then he found all the women and all the children were taken out. And then he find out the people who actually burned down the town 
was an Amalekite. All right, so you've got Israel, you've got Philistine, you've got Amalekites. All right, so the, in, in, in 1 Samuel 20, it's basically said that when, uh, when David actually found that, that the town was burned down, women taken, children taken, including his two wives. So, so 1 Samuel 30 was actually about the battle between David and the Amalekites. Okay, I'll, 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 so Ruth will explain this actually a bit um, in more detail next week. The next chapter, 1 Samuel 31, is actually go back, uh, go back about the, uh, the fight between the Philistine and Israel. All right, so that's, uh, that's the one that jo- uh, David was initially want to join. And then in the 1 Samuel 31, in the battle between, uh, between Philistine and Israel, Israel lost the battle. And then, it, uh, and then in, in that chapter, it mentioned that Saul and his sons, Jonathan, died in the battle. That's the end of the book of 1 Samuel. So it was close with the story of a king of Israel died in the battle. The next chapter, which is a brand new book, is 2 Samuel chapter 1, which I'm, uh, what I'm going to preach today. So 2 Samuel chapter 1 was about David receiving a message from a messenger t- uh, telling him that Saul and Jonathan died in the battle. All right? So that's, that's the whole scenario. Okay, let's read Second uh, Samuel 1 to 16. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. Where have you come from? David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened? David asked. Tell me. The man fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Then David said to the young man who brought him uh, the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man said. And there was Saul leaning on his spear with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. When he turned around and saw me, he called out to me and I said, What can I do? He asked me, Who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, Stand here by me and kill me. I am in the torch of death, but I am still alive. So I stood beside him and killed him. Because I knew that after he had fallen, he couldn't survive. And I took the crown and uh, that was on his head, 
and the band of his harm, and have brought them here to my Lord. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan, and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who brought the, uh, him the report, Where are you from? I am a son of a foreigner, an Amalekite, he answered. David asked him, Why weren't you afraid to lift your hands to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, Go strike him down. So he struck him down. And he died. For David had said to him, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I kill the Lord's anointed. So the, uh, the passage that we've just uh, read, it, in, a sum, um, in a summary, so, um, so David actually, uh, received a messenger an Amalekite, basically telling him, hey, David, just for your information, Israel was in a battle with the Philistine that you're supposed to attend. Um, they lost. They lost, and Saul and Jonathan died in the battle. And I killed Saul on his request. Here is the proof. Here is the crown and the armband. Now, to his surprise, David's reaction was actually to kill him. Now, let me ask you this question. I am very, very sure if this man, the messenger, knew that he would be killed by David, he wouldn't bring the news from the first place. Agree? There is a reason why he wants to actually bring the news to David. Does he have to actually bring the news to David? No. He doesn't have any obligation to bring the news to David. He was an Amalekite. He was a foreigner. He wasn't an Israel. He was a foreigner. There is no obligation for him to bring the news to David. But he did. Now we are going to actually learn a couple things from this Amalekites, the messenger. So we can actually apply this in our daily life. The first one is actually taking credit. Now everyone knew at that time that Saul was uh, keep on chasing up David wanting to kill him. Even Saul actually tried to actually kill many people that, that, that helped David escape. We learned that already. But here is, there is a messenger come to David. Of course, in his mind, hey, David, I'm bringing a good news to you. Your enemy is dead. You don't need to hide anymore. You don't need to run away anymore. The one who chased you up, already dead. And here is the proof. 
the crown, the armband, and by the way, I killed him. There must be a reward coming to me now, right? Now, to his surprise, David reacted differently. He probably said, you don't know me. I've got so many opportunities to kill Saul. And I didn't take that opportunities. And you just easily kill Saul just like that. And he died. Now, let's see. Let, let, let's learn about this, uh, this, this person about taking credit. I'm going to actually, uh, uh, I'm going to actually uh, uh, read from the previous chapter. Now, remember that I mentioned that the first Samuel 30, 31 is the end of the book of uh, 1 Samuel. It's talking about Saul's death. Let's read from there. 1 Samuel 31, verse 4 uh, to 6. But his armor bearer, uh, Saul said to his armor bearer, not Amalekites, his armor bearer, draw your sword and run, and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and wouldn't do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. Now hang on a second. The stories are different. In the second Samuel verse one, uh, in the second Samuel chapter one, the Amalekites say, "I killed Saul because Saul asked me." But in the previous chapter, in the first Samuel 30, uh, 30, uh, 30, uh, 31, 31, the Bible recorded Saul killed himself. So which one is true? Does the Bible contradict itself? Now, I believe in the Bible telling the truth. I believe in the 1 Samuel 31 that Saul killed himself. I also believe in 2 Samuel chapter 1 that an Amalekite said, that he killed Saul. There is a difference between the, the previous one said that Saul killed himself. The second one said, somebody said, I killed Saul. He said that, that's the truth. But what he said is not necessarily the truth. Does it make, do you understand the difference here? So let, let, let's, let's think about this a bit logical. Amalekites was always an enemy of Israel from day dot. Practically from the, uh, from the minute that, that Israel uh, exit Egypt, wanting to go, go, go into the Canaan, Israel and Amalekites always fight each other all the time. In fact, 
the very, very first assignment of King Saul was to destroy Amalekites. Let's read, this is back about months ago. In, in 1 Samuel 15, verse 1 to 3. This is back, you know, 1 Samuel 15. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty say. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belonging, belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camel and donkeys. That's the very, very first command that God say Saul to do. Destroy Amalekites. Now we knew in, in the, uh, later on that uh, Saul disobeyed the, the command of the Lord. Instead of he destroy everything, he saved the king of Amalekites, which is Agag. And he also actually, instead of actually killing all the sheep, cattle, and everything, Saul actually keep all the cattle and the sheep and everything as a plunder. So Amalekites was always been an enemy of Israel, just like the Philistine. Now think it logically. If what this messenger said, uh, if, if the messenger did say the truth, it just doesn't make sense for Saul to ask his enemy, which is the Amalekite. Remember that he said, who are you? I am an Amalekite. It just doesn't make sense that Saul actually asked his enemy to kill him. It's more makes sense that, you know, if he, he wants to kill him, he asks his armor bearer. But, but it just doesn't make sense if, if Saul actually asked the, an enemy to kill him. Might as well actually get killed by the Philistines. He was in a battle with them. So, so this Amalekite, he saw everything. He saw all the events. He saw how Saul died. He saw that Saul that asked his armor bearer to kill, uh, to kill him. He saw everything. But instead of telling the truth about the actual event, he modified the truth. He twisted the truth and then bring the news to David. He twisted the truth in such a way, he put himself into the story and then take the benefit out of it to get a reward. Say, hey, David, I killed Saul rather than Saul kill himself. Does it make sense? Now, as Christians, we do that a lot. How many times that we twisted the truth for our own benefit? We add the story. We add here and there, here and there to make the story bigger. To make the story mightier. To make the, uh, to make the story scarier. So as if like it, uh, God only works in a big things, not in a small things. My wife always said to me, which is true. 
that I always exaggerate all the story. And I believe it's probably just not me. I believe probably all of us. We add a bit of salt and paper and everything just to make the story nicer. And for what? For our own benefit. We took credit that other people did and then bring it as if it is our own work. We took, other, you, you have friends who are actually very diligent doing their homework every night, every night, and then all that you did, just come in the morning, very, very early in the morning to school, hey, can I borrow the homework? And just copycat everything. Well, I did that. We took the credit from what people did we oversee our, what our colleague did uh, at work and then tell our boss, we did that. We took the credit that's not due for us to take. That's what the Amalekites did. Now, the Bible also tells another story about somebody that exaggerating their story. It was the Israel. When the Israel actually exit the Egypt, the Egypt, they went. Uh, they are about to enter the Canaan. And and the Lord actually said say to Moses, send twelve people, one from each tribe, to explore the land before we enter the Canaan. Remember that story. Then they go. So so there are twelve spies. Go to the land of the Canaan, have a look, what's, in, what's inside, then come back with the story. We knew that 10 of them brought a negative story. And two of them, which is uh, Joshua and Caleb, brought the good news. Now let's see what these 10 people say. In the, uh, in the Numbers 13, verse 31 to 33, but the man who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israel a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land that we, uh, that we explored devours those living in it. Devours practically meaning to eat alive. To eat it like that. So basically what they say, the land is not worthy to live in. It's very harsh. You know, you, you can't live there. Basically, that's, that's what it said. In fact, the promise of God is I'll give you a land full of honey and milk. And then let's continue what they say. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seems like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Grasshoppers? Really? You know how big is grasshoppers? That big. It's smaller than my shoes. What they're saying, hey, people in the Canaan, 
They are giants. And then comparing them with us, we're just like that. That's exaggerating to the max. Just to give some weight to the story. To make it big. And we learn what happened to them. Those spies. The Israels who believed them. Just like the Amalekite. They died in the wilderness. They didn't taste the honey and the milk from the land that God promised to them. Because of what they say. Now, this is very interesting. You know that I mentioned that, that, uh, that uh, God actually sent them to actually spy the, the land. Now, I'm going to ask you to actually read from Numbers 13, verse 1 to 2. It said this. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites, from which ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. Okay, so it's, it's not just a common people, it's the leaders being sent. Now, there is also another interesting word here. To explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving. The Lord say, the land, I am giving the land. It is not, I am thinking to give the land. It is not, probably I will give the land. It is a confirm, I am giving the land. Now, there is another actually interesting word here. The Lord. Who sent the spies? It's not Moses. It's the Lord. So here is the next question. If the Lord is giving the land, why he bother? To send spies on it. He's giving the land. Why bother sending spies? Do you think that our God is somebody who can change his mind? Based on the result of the, uh, of the spies? When the, when the spies say, oh no, we can't attack it. There are giants everywhere. Everywhere giants, as, as if like the story of David and Goliath means nothing. Because that's just one giant. This is everyone is giants. Do you think God will say, okay, let's go back to Egypt. You know, there are too many, too many giants there. Do you think, oh, God will say, I changed my mind, I changed my mind. But God say, I'm giving the land. Yet, I am sending the spies. You see, God actually allow us in a situation where we are getting tested to see how our faith is. Even though he already said, I promise I'm giving the land. The Bible say, 
Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious of anything. I will give you strength. But then again, he still allow us in a situation where we are afraid, where we are anxious. But the thing is, do you believe that the next sentence say that I am giving you strength? Or you crumble when you are afraid and you are anxious? The Bible say, you will go through the death of valley, but I am there with you. And yes, we are going through the death of valley. But are you crumble when you are there? Or do you believe the next sentence? Because I am with you. The Lord put us in a situation in such a way, just like sending the spies. Check it out. Check it out. By the way, I've already promised, I'm going to give you the land, regardless whatever you say, the, you say the, how bad is the land, I am giving you the land. How is your faith? Let's, let's, uh, that's, that's actually number one, about taking credit. Don't exaggerate things. Don't twist up the truth. Say it as it is. The Bible say, uh, just very, very quickly, Deuteronomy 4.2, do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Matthew 5, uh, 5 uh, verse 37, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I challenge you this morning to tell the truth. Say it as it is. Just like in the movie of the, you know, law and order. Tell the truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. What else can we learn from the, uh, from the Amalekites? It's actually about faithfulness. You're probably asking, Faithfulness? What is faithfulness got to do with this story? Let's explore this a bit more. So let's see how this, uh, this messenger, the, this Amalekite, introduced himself. In 2 Samuel 1 verse 8, this is what the Amalekite story is. He, this is Saul, he asked me, who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. And then when David asked this messenger, from 2 Samuel 1.13, David said to a young man who brought him the report, where are you from? I am the son of a foreigner, an Amalekite, he answered. Do you notice that everywhere this guy goes, whoever asks him who he is, he doesn't answer with his name. His name is not recorded anywhere in the Bible. But he introduced himself as, I am an Amalekite. 
this guy is a very, very proud, loyal Amalekite. Everywhere he goes, I am an Amalekite. Just like us, right? I am a Christian. I am an Amalekite. But let, let's forget about the story for a second. Let's imagine that we are the Amalekites. Now, I mentioned before that the Amalekites was the enemy of Israel, right? Now, I also mentioned before in, in the 1 Samuel 30, which Ruth is going to preach next week, the Amalekites attack Ziklag, where David lived. All right? Now, can you imagine if you were Amalekites, you see that your enemy, your, which is Israel, you see that your enemy's king, Saul, died. That's a good, that's a good, uh, good news, right? As, an, as the enemy of Israel, that's the good news. Let me ask you this question. If you were an Amalekite, whom are you going to bring this good news to? Just think about it. If you were the Amalekite, whom are you going to bring this news to? Anyone? Who said that? Well done. The answer is the king of Amalekites. You're an Amalekite. You see the good news? Your enemy's king died. You're going to share the good news. Logically, you will bring the, the news to the king of Amalekites. Hey, king, our enemy's king died. But that's not what's in the story. What this messenger did, he took this good news and bring to the enemy, to David, to the Israelites, to the one that's just being attacked by the country. Can you see the logic here? We knew why, because he wants a reward. We knew why. He is a loyal Amalekite. Everywhere he goes, he say, I am Amalekite. Was he a faithful Amalekites? That's a big question mark. There is a difference between loyalty and faithfulness. Loyalty is measured by the length of service. If you've been in the church for uh, in this church for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, people will say that, hey, you're a loyal member of praise center. You deserve long service leave. That's my case. But if you are faithful, faithfulness is actually measured by the depth of your, your relationship between one with the other. Let me give you an example. Husband and wife. They can be loyal to each other. They've been married for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. They're still married, 
by law, they are not divorced, they are married. But that doesn't mean they are faithful to each other. They may be still married, but they don't share their bathroom. They may be married, by, but, but, but the husband have a fling, the wife have a fling. Even though in the wedding vow it say, I take you as a faithful husband or wife. You never say a loyal husband or wife. You say faithful husband or wife for better, for worse, for rich, for poor. If it is omagus, whether you have kids or not, till death do us part. And you say that in front of the Lord and all the witnesses in front of you. There is, um, there is um, uh, a senior man, uh, so he's about mid-60s or probably towards the 70s. He's working for a big companies. And then whenever actually people see him, people will ask, how long have you been with the company? And he said, 30 years. And then people say, wow, you must be a loyal employee, which he is. Then one day he shared his story to a colleague. You know what? I'm very tired of working. I'm getting old. You know, it's very hard for me to wake up every morning. And then his friend say, well, why don't you stop working? No, I don't want to stop working. I just want to do the bare minimum. I come nine to five because I have to. I only do when people tell me what to do. I'm not, I'm not being proactive. I do not want to actually do more than what I can. I just do a basic things. So what's your intention? If you are tired, just, just retire. No. I'm waiting for my company to retrench me so I can get this 30, 40 years redundancy package. He's loyal. Is he faithful? Let's get a bit more personal. You've been in the church for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. All that you do is come every Sunday morning, 10 o'clock or 11.30, whatever the shift that, that you are in. You sing, you praise, you lift up your hands, you listen to the, uh, to the preaching, then you go home. Next week, same thing. You come, you sing, you listen to the preaching, you go home. The following weeks, the following weeks, the following weeks. It's all the same. And you may be sitting under, on the same spots every week. All right? But you're never involved in the, uh, any ministry. You're not part of life groups. You're not, you're not coming to the Monday prayer night. All that you did is come on Sunday in, Sunday out, Sunday in, Sunday out, Sunday in, Sunday out. You are the church 
consumer. All that you did, come to the church, get the benefit what I can get, I get the, I get the opportunity to praise God, I get the benefit of whoever actually preaching, and then I go back home. You're just hitting the seat. Yes, you are a loyal member of the church. You deserve a golden membership. <laughs> but are you faithful? Remember that I said faithfulness is measured by how deep is your, your interaction between one with the other. Because if you only come every Sunday and do nothing apart from that, it's only a one-way interaction. That's not faithful. Let's get a bit more personal. You okay with this? You are a church member. You minister. You may be preaching, you may be singing, you may be an usher, you may be a Sunday school teacher or whatever. You're part of the life group. You attend Monday prayer night. What else can you get? You do everything. But that's about it. Every, in quote, religious activity that you do is only happening on Sunday. Between Monday to Saturday, whatever that you, you, do, you do on Sunday, you don't replicate it at all. You don't sing praising God on my Monday to Saturday. You don't pray, let alone reading the Bible. You may have a Bible app next to your Instagram app, but you never open it. <laughs> By the time you open it, it's installing. Now, there is a harsh word in the Bible describing this activity. And the word is hypocrites. You know what this word means? Hypocrites is somebody who do all the church-related activity when they are in public space, that describing the Pharisee. You may say, oh, I'm not a Pharisee. But that's what you are if you only do your church-related activity within these four walls. The Bible says, in the uh, Matthew 6, 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from the Father in heaven. Isn't that what we do? We sing. We read the Bible. We shake other people's hands. During Sunday service only. Monday to Saturday? Nah. 
just wait until next Monday. Uh, next Sunday. You see, the the uh, loyalty is different with relationship. You may be a loyal church member. You may be a loyal minister, ministering whatever that you are ministering. But the question whether you are faithful or not can only be answered by you and God. Start working on your relationship with God. The word faithfulness contains two words, faith and full. If you want to be faithful, you have to be full of faith. And then for you to be full of faith, it's not enough just to, be, to do it on Sunday. It's time for us to start working on our relationship with other people, especially with God. I'm going to close with these two points. I'm going to actually... Um, uh, this is uh, to conclude what, what, what we just discussed this morning. Point number one. Do not take credit that is not yours. Do not twist the truth for your own benefit. Do not exaggerate the truth for your own benefit. You know one thing about the truth. The minute you twisted the truth just a bit, it is no longer the truth. And God seeks the truth. Point number two. Be faithful. It is not enough for us to live as a Christian as just a loyal Christians. God is not interested in taking absenteeism. Okay, William, come this Sunday. Take. Next week, come again. Take. The following year, come again. Take again. He's not interested in that. He's probably more interested. Are you praying every day? Are you worshiping him every day? Are you reading his words every day? God bless you.